Hey there, and welcome back to the Food Biz Whiz podcast. I'm speaking with my guest, Emily Schilt, about the changing role of physical retail today. Emily is the founder and CEO of Pop-Up Grocer, which is a brick-and-mortar retail experience where shoppers can discover up-and-coming food, beverage, pet, home, and body care brands. So I know so many of our Retail Ready students have taken part in Pop-Up Grocer, and I'm betting that even more of our listeners have sold there as well. So I'm really excited for today's conversation. We're going to dive deeper into Pop-Up, what needs it fills in our industry, and who should display there in the future, plus how brands can succeed in this new version of physical retail. We're going to talk through what we can expect from retailers as well as our industry is shifting and more. Let's get right into it. I'm Allie Ball, former grocery buyer and retail store manager turned wholesale consultant. In my role on the retail floor, I saw delicious, values-driven brands fail on our shelves simply because they didn't understand the behind the scenes of wholesale. I created the Food Biz Whiz podcast to give you hard-to-access insight from my career in the food industry and the tools and strategies to help you succeed on retail shelves. If you're a committed food founder who's looking to create and grow a packaged products business that positively impacts our food system, puts wealth back into your own hands, and employs members of your local community, you have found the right podcast. Let's do this. I've got a valuable freebie to go along with today's episode. It's my workbook on 100 wholesale buyer no's, which outlines all of the excuses that I used to give brands who weren't a great fit for our shelves back when I was a grocery buyer. This download helps you prepare for any possible no and teaches you how to change it into a yes. Find the free link in our show notes. Hi, Emily. It's great to have you on the podcast today. Hi. Thank you. Hi. You're welcome. So thank you for taking time to connect today in full transparency at the time of recording. You are right in the middle of running pop-up Miami. So I'm sure that is keeping you and your team really busy. Um, Emily, let's, let's start from the top. How is, how's Miami going this time around? It's great. Um, you know, we have not repeated a city yet to date apart from New York. Um, so every time we step outside of Manhattan or Brooklyn, it's new territory. We never really know what to expect, uh, which I guess the uncertainty is sort of part of the fun. Uh, but Miami has been really great to us. We're in the Wynwood neighborhood. Uh, we always situate ourselves in somewhat of a sort of creative, uh, artistic uh, section of the city. And we have met a lot of locals and tourists alike and um, uh, have also enjoyed, you know, 70 something degree weather, which is quite <laughs> different than it is here in Manhattan. So yeah, positive. That sounds great. And by the time we air this, you will have wrapped up my Miami. It's going to be, you know, done on the books and you'll be thinking about the next pop-up grocer. And I want to talk about that in a minute, but for our listeners who are like, what the heck is pop-up grocer? I've never even heard of this thing. Can you, can you give us that like 60 second elevator pitch on pop-up and, and what it is? Yeah. Whenever anyone asks me what I do for a living, I always start by saying, well, it's really weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> So Pop-Up Grocer is a place to discover the latest and greatest in grocery. So that's food and beverage, but also home, pet, and body care brands, as you mentioned. So right now, uh, and for the last more or less three years, since April of 2019, when we started, uh, we have 
showcase those brands through 30-day pop-ups in different cities across the country. Uh, New York a few times, as I said, LA, Austin, Chicago, Miami, I think that covers it. Uh, And we select somewhere around 150 brands to be a part of each pop-up. And that's somewhere around 400 products on display. Uh, And everything in the store is new. So either the brands themselves, uh, we launch a lot of brands where the very first shelf they've ever been on uh, or uh, and or the actual items. Yeah, right. That like a new flavor or like a new like seasonal thing or something. And I think Emily, one of the one of the things that we can't convey through, you know, the the audio on the podcast is how beautiful the spaces are and how how fun they are, how like exciting of an experience pop-up is. Um, and I'm sure that goes into your your background of marketing and thinking about creating experiences for people. Yeah. So we really uh, say that we're advertiser first and retailer second or accidentally. Uh, So the space is really beautiful and um, designed to be Instagrammable and highly shareable and uh, truly memorable. Um, And obviously the limited curation also plays into us as an advertiser. Mm -hmm. Every product um, gets, you know, ample amount of space on shelf is, you know, one brand of maybe at most in the category, if not sort of defining the category. Uh, And we have no bottom shelves. So everything Mm. is really visible and able to be learned of, which is the whole intent for our our being. Yeah. It's so interesting that you, yeah, that you say there's no bottom shelf and, you know, I... That's a, a light bulb moment. Of course, there's no bottom shelf there. You know, you've you've done the merchandising so that everything's lifted and and closer to that, um, you know, the discovery level there. I love yeah. that. Smart. It's a bit of a learning for our brand partners. You know, they love to email us and ask them if they can get, you know, placement on a higher shelf or whatever is the most ideal placement. I'm like, well, we are exclusively an ideal placement <laughs> location. So don't need to worry or spend extra money uh, there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, very um, thoughtful in that both in the shopping experience and then also for these new brands who are trying everything that they can do to get in front of consumers, having that ideal shelf location is so important there. Okay. So what pop-ups coming next? We're headed to DC. We tend to follow the sun. Uh, so <laughs> when spring turns, it'll be safe to return to the East coast. Yep. Um, so yeah. Headed back to DC. And what are, what are the dates of that? Uh, not a hundred percent in the, the land of pop-up real estate. Uh, our lease mm-hmm. comes together pretty soon before we open. Uh, but I think I can safely say May. Okay, perfect. And then as people are like, okay, cool. Like this sounds like a really neat experience. Only 100, 150 brands, like all of these Instagrammable moments here, like great press. Who is, who's the right brand for pop-up or what, and what are the right categories? So we have three criteria uh, that we use in sourcing and selecting brands. The first is really the meatiest. Um, I guess I say that sort of ironically, uh, as we are mostly vegan. Yeah. <laughs> um, the first criterion is the medias in terms of like uh, the, the most uh, robust and of the most importance to us. 
So it just answers the question, is it interesting? Uh, a product has to be using an ingredient in a new way or a new format, uh, has to be taking a sustainable approach to um, the production of its uh, product. Um, the founder story, you know, we have an emphasis on underrepresented and under-resourced founders. Um, uh, and and the, some of that can lend itself to the second criterion, which uh, is it better for you? So everything in our space is better made, better for you, better for the environment. Um, and then the third uh, is about aesthetics. So mm. um, does it have packaging that is going to contribute to the overall look and feel of our space, which again is for the purpose of um, being Instagrammed really so that uh, we're spreading word of mouth around these brands that we feature, which is our whole intent. Gotcha. So is it interesting? Is it better for you or the planet or, you know, some sort of combination there? And is it Instagrammable. Yeah, pretty to Emily and her team. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Does it fit the aesthetic of the store? Right. Like we don't want to have those shoppers walk in and see something that feels totally out of place on the shelf there. Um, yeah. Um, and I mean, at this point, we know what our target uh, audience is drawn to. So really, it's to the benefit of the brand that we do or do not select if we deem that their packaging is going to be something that's going to intrigue. Totally, totally. And, you know, we've had retail ready students who have had great success at pop-up grocer and they tend to be, and this is, you know, this has been in the past too. So I'm, this kind of leads us into our conversation about how pop-up may have shifted, but uh, the brands who tend to have the most success in retail ready on in pop-up are the ones that are snackable or ready to drink beverages or those things that are consumed right on the spot or, you know, as, as folks are walking away rather than the ones that say, um, a spice line or a gluten-free bread company that needs to go home and be toasted and like actually prepared a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, that, uh, that phrase is, um, always a little tricky for me. The, the do well phrase, Mm -hmm. uh, because I really try to train our partners to understand that, again, we are advertiser first and retailer yeah. second. So success in our space is people, is you being there, really. Um, and is people mm. uh, learning who you are, what you're about through the education, through our staff, through our promotional materials. Um you know, it takes on average someone seeing something six times before they actually buy it. Uh, so our aim is to vastly reduce that number of times. So even if they're not buying it that day, they could be buying it a week later or two weeks later. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, I don't have a magic wand to be able to track that. I'd be imminently more successful than I am. Uh, but, you know, we we do believe and and know from some surveys that that happens. Emily, I love that reframe too. It it proves or it reminds us that sales sales is just one piece of building a successful brand, right? And of course, we we need revenue, we need cash in the in the bank to have a, a continue continue our business. But a lot of that comes from press awareness, media mentions, um, growing that brand through experiences and connecting with the consumer. Yeah, that's a yeah. great that's a great reframe. All right, let's let's talk about changing retail. 
So can, can you tell me about either through the lens of pop-up or what you're seeing in our industry, how you think this, the general role of physical retail is, is changing, has changed? Yeah. I mean, the broader landscape of retail has been changing for some time, obviously, with the wonders of the internet um, and the prevalence of online shopping, of the adoption of online shopping, um, which was only accelerated uh, across the board for every industry in the last couple of years. But specifically for grocery, I mean, grocery grocery has been moving um at a snail's pace in comparison to other industries um, for delivery. Uh, so, you know, our our hypothesis in developing pop-up grocer has always been that there needs to be a physical complement mm-hmm. to the sort of lackluster, routine, monotonous uh, online shopping experience that we knew was going to become more popular. Uh, and so, um, you know, for us specifically, that's what we're creating is something that is experiential, that is exciting, that is educational. Um, but that has been happening in other industries for some time. I mean, if you look at apparel, you know, fashion flagships um, have not been first and foremost necessarily uh, the primary sales channel. Mm-hmm. They've been for uh, for uh, an important manifestation of the brand, um, uh, you know, a, a tool for um, marketing. Uh, and so, you know, I I think it's been kind of unrealistic to think that, um, you know, um, pick any brand like a Banza Pasta could have a yep. successful flagship on its own. But you know, our thesis was that if we could create Pop Up Grocer, the flagship for all of these brands under one roof. Um, then we could really serve for all of them uh, as that new form or, or new role of, of retail in their omni-channel uh, map. Yeah. Oh, I, it makes so much sense to me. You know, I, I, I love that you, I love hate that you said grocery is moving at a snail's pace because it is completely true. Emily, I've said it so many times on this podcast Literally in like 2009, 2010, I was still faxing in my orders, pen and paper, faxing in orders in our grocery department. And it just felt so slow to change. And it's amazing that you you came online or came on um, in 2019, pre, pre-COVID, right? Before we we had this big, big shift. And I'm curious about what that what the past two years have done for pop-up and how you guys have had to respond when when things shut down so drastically. Yeah, I mean, we've we've pretty much only existed in pandemic times. Mm-hmm. So I would be lying if I'm saying really ex- excited, uh, if not excited, like I'm I'm overjoyed to see what the what our potential is outside of a pandemic. Um but the Saying that, it means that, you know, we have managed to be quite successful amidst the pandemic for that. I am very grateful. And I think that that um, has to do with the fact that grocery has arguably just become more popular. Um, Basket sizes have have gotten much larger. And for us as, you know, grocery store meets event, uh, because we are classified as an essential business, we were very simply be able to, we were able to be open at a time where not so many other exciting things to do on your calendar uh, exist. Totally. That's such a, it's, it's almost like an unfair advantage that you guys had where everything was locked down and 
suddenly grocery shopping was the event of the week. And there you were with this beautifully curated selection and this wonderful experience um, waiting for, for foot traffic to come through. I love it. So how do you think brands can adapt to this change? Oh, um, I think they have to be willing to, (laughs) um, you know, I mean, like I said, I think for us, it's been a challenge to educate, uh, and help kind of get brands out of their traditional way of thinking, Mm -hmm. uh, about retail, uh, to just understand that, you know, we use a physical space for advertising, um, and that is very much the new way, new use, uh, for retail, um, But uh, I think that's the biggest barrier, specifically in grocery, just because uh, there is such an archaic and uh, uniform way of doing things that everybody seems to feel very boxed in and it's hard to, to get them outside of it. Yeah. Uh, I think you're, you're spot on with brands needing to shift their thinking. And Emily, the aha moment that I'm having here that I want our listeners to pick up on is that whether it's in pop-up grocery or another type of, you know, in-person experience for your consumers, it's, it's marketing. It's a marketing lever to pull when you do something like pop-up grocery. Yeah. I mean, um, grocery stores, I feel like the magic number is 40,000 for grocery stores. There are like about 40,000 grocery stores in the U S each one is about 40,000 square feet. That's like the size. It's just under the size of a football field. Um, and they carry somewhere around 40,000, uh, SKUs. So the possibility of being seen there is like, doesn't exist. (laughs) Minuscule. Unless you spend a lot of money with that store uh, for visibility, you know, that being an end cap that costs you a ton of money, that being um, on the uh, retailers, marketing channels that cost you a lot of money. That means um, discounts and sampling that costs you a lot of money. So I think the question just, and then, you know, advertising uh, outside of the store um, to directly to the audience that you grow and own um, that also costs you money. Uh, So I think the question just becomes, and again, this goes back to sort of like the shift in thinking like you're already Mm -hmm. spending a lot. This trade spend is quite large. Um, perhaps there's a, it's a real moment in time to diversify, uh, how you're spending it and, and what might be more efficient paths to actual, to customer acquisition. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I keep thinking about too, is realizing that if, if our listeners are going to take part in something like pop-up grocer, they need to have everything dialed in on the back end in order to capture the you know, the traffic that might come from people discovering a pop-up or through press or online or whatever it is. It's it's not as easy as just going and being put on the shelf and thinking that the sales are going to to come to you. Totally. Yeah, totally. And that's on the um, customer side of things, but also one benefit of participating in pop-up grocery that we didn't necessarily anticipate uh, is that it's really helped the sales within our space are validating and thus mm. really useful in retailer conversations. And if you can go 
to a Whole Foods or a Publix in Florida and actually present to them how much you've sold to the Miami population in a month's time, it's a much different conversation than saying, well, I think I will. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We talk about this all the time in retail ready that that buyer wants to know that your product is going to succeed on their shelves, right? Like it's, <laughs> that's the whole thing. Like, is your product going to sell? And Emily, you're, you're so right that when you've got data from uh, another local store, right? You said, this is, this is how it's sold in pop-up Miami. We expect that we can replicate that success on your shelves. It makes, it changes the conversation. It makes that buyer trust you so much faster when you've got data like that. Yeah. Smart. Smart. Uh, Yeah. And in our relationships with buyers, we've learned that just our stamp of approval and knowing um, what our, you know, the, the rigor and the consciousness that is in our sourcing process Mm -hmm. and they feel already much better and more confident in their decision to bring that brand on. Yeah. It's almost like pop-up is a, you're vetting brands first. We've got like the pop-up seal of approval. Emily, I'm, I'm imagining these, um, I'm imagining sell sheets that now start to have like a pop-up grocer seal of approval on them. Let's do it. <laughs> I know we've been thinking about that with retail ready. So they get like a retail ready uh, certification. They've got the pop-up grocer certification and then the buyers just start saying yes to them. Right. Exactly. Sounds <laughs> beautiful and easy. <laughs> yes. Um, Emily, what do you, what do you think retailers need to do what we've got. I know we've got retailers in our audience, in our listener audience, and they're like, oh, shoot, Emily is designing this really wonderful experience. That's not what's happening in our store. How do they need to shift? Yeah. I mean, I think going back to this, which is not necessarily all retailers, but if we're talking about um, uh, your sort of standard grocer, going back to the 40-40-40, I think you know, they have two choices or two options. And that is one, um, make that experience more convenient somehow, Mm -hmm. whether that's through completely reorganizing and restructuring um, the store's layout and making it not so overwhelming uh, and requiring a vast amount of one's time to navigate. I don't, yeah, I'm not even really sure that's a solution within that um, uh, situation. But, you know, we have a lot of larger retailers who are now coming out with like micro uh, formats, so smaller format stores, or we have smaller format exclusive concepts like Foxtrot or um, Amazon Go. I think they're Amazon Fresh. Um, so there are there are retailers out there who are solving for convenience, and that's exciting. Um, but then I think the other big change is the experience component, making it more experiential, and that's something you know. Obviously, we're sort of solving for exclusively. Um, that's our whole concept. Uh, but it's an opportunity for every retailer to incorporate within uh, their existing store. Um, so for us, you know, that's sampling, um, that's the educational context through our staff, through our materials, uh, that is events and programming. Um, you know, we have tastings, like leveled up sampling, but we also have uh, talks and classes, parties, 
Um, and uh, we also have a bakery and cafe concept mm. um, yeah. uh, in our pop-ups. That's always someone who's local. So, you know, they draw traffic. Uh, they enhance excitement for those who maybe aren't so invested in like the better for you CPG space, but just lovers of food. Uh, so yeah, those are, I think that's an opportunity for, for everyone. Yeah. I even wonder, you know, I use at 40,000 square foot grocery stores. It's the size of a football field field. And I, I just see an opportunity, even if where that store, obviously it's so corporate, right? They're like, well, Great, Emily, we can't just restructure our entire store, but designing experiences within the store is possible, right? Like even having a curated section where it's highlighting, you know, local products or highlighting, you know, female-owned product or highlighting BIPOC-owned product or whatever it is, right? Like creating these smaller experiences within that 40,000 square foot would be a place to start. Yeah, we were just a part of um, a national convenience store conference. Uh, it's definitely the sexiest thing I've ever done in my career. <laughs> um, and it was really interesting. Just had one conversation with a gentleman there who owned a convenience store um, that our categories were kind of a mind shift for him because they're trend based. So, you know, we have like a mood boosters category where everything, uh, the items on shelf all have like adaptogenic um, or functional ingredients. And so it's like, you know, it doesn't have to just be your snack bars and mm. your beverages and things like in such a traditional categorical organization as we've been trained to think about them. Um, it could be more in a lifestyle context of the consumer. Oh, that's so interesting, right? It's, you're right. We just have, we are classically trained in grocery to think about things, you know, the way, <laughs> the way we always have and to shift that on its head and say, you know, the category doesn't have to be bars. It can be mood. What did you call it? Mood boosters, mood enhancers? Yeah, like we might have mood, we might have bars in with a mushroom latte right. mint because to us they both um have functional ingredients and that's sort of the um the uh, connection line of connection rather than all bars together yeah it makes it makes so much sense and i imagine too for for sourcing and going through all of those applications that you get all the submissions you get it gives you a really interesting way to think about designing the store and how you're going to to merchandise everything yeah yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the assumption right now is that people are shopping uh, specifically like, you know, for a protein bar, but perhaps what they're looking for in looking for protein is more energy or mm-hmm. more focus or um, uh, this is, I'm this yeah. fine because I, I'm thinking about this all the time, um, healthier hair. I'm using my hair. I don't know, whatever it may be. And so there could actually be a wide variety of products that sort of solve someone's um, problem or uh, something that's top of mind for them. Um, So, you know, I don't know if a whole store should be organized that way, but there's definitely an opportunity to play around with things like that and see how it works. Yeah, certainly an end cap or a, a section. And I think for from the brand's perspective, this is great news because you know you might feel like if you are, let's say, uh, a drink with adaptogens in them, you feel like you can never capture that bars 
sales from the bars category. But here you are, Emily, saying, perhaps you're wrong. Perhaps it just is about merchandising differently in the store, getting that buyer to think about your product on a different a different level, not just put slotting you in with ready to drink or not just slot it, slotting right. you in with bars. Right. Hmm. I love it. Okay. Let's, let's wrap this up here. I've got a couple other questions for you about pop-up. So I mentioned applications. Tell me about the submission process for pop-up grocer. So, um, we, a lot, a lot of the brands that we select, you know, we, uh, go out, uh, in pursuit of, mm-hmm. uh, but we do receive a lot of applications. Uh, and I use that term loosely because it's something that we will more or better formalize uh, later this year with the development of a, a new website, um, one that was not built by me uh, three years ago. It's really exciting. Um, but uh, but right now, yeah, people can uh, submit through our, the contact form on our website. And basically all it takes, um, for the kind of first level of review is just a link to their website and we will, uh, decipher what we can against those three criteria. Right. Because that's, it, it's so different than that formal grocery submission where you're like, here's my, (laughs) here's my promotional offer. Here's my free fill. Here's my, you know, sell sheet and my price list and and all of those things. Well, opening. I mean, I, you know, I've been a, I've been a marketer for the entirety of my career. I had no idea how grocery works. I'm still learning. Um, which is, I think what allowed me to, uh, redefine it perhaps, um, because I had no idea what I was redefining. Um, but yeah, uh, seeing these emails and the traditional way of quote unquote, attracting a buyer, um, it is, uh, really interesting to me. And I feel in no way in a position to like, um, edit that process because maybe perhaps that is what what works, um, with everyone, you know, with every retailer who's not us. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, quite in, informative. Uh, no, I mean, we don't require samples. In fact, like as a small business ourselves, we know how, uh, cost prohibitive that can be to have to give away that much of your product and shipping and all of that. So, um, if we can tell, that, you know, maybe you're not a fit for our concept for whatever reason, and you don't have, you won't have had to spend any money on us. Uh, obviously we prefer that. Yeah. I, I love it. And I think there's such, there is room for our more traditional stores our even specialty stores to start changing the submission process as well. I'm really excited for the day when the sample box goes out the window and we aren't evaluating things just on trade spend. Yeah. 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 So DC is next for pop-up grocer and then anything else, anything else in the pipeline that you are ready to share on the podcast or are you tight-lipped on what comes after that? Um, no, we are hundred percent opening a permanent store here in New York. It'll be, uh, the first, um, in that format where it'll essentially be a never ending pop-up. So, um, we will rotate the brands that we feature, uh, but otherwise be a reliable destination for discovery. So that's very exciting. I've stopped quoting when we're going to open, um, <laughs> is the chain there. <laughs> yep. Let's so have to stay tuned. Awesome. Congratulations, Emily. That is, that's really big. 
Thank you. Uh, I'm excited. You know, we've um, the business has been funded. Uh, the business has funded itself um, to date. Uh, this summer, I raised our first round of capital in order to build out this permanent store. Um, required some cash that our our flow did not support, um, but it's exciting because what we've been able to do with the pop-ups, which people have been impressed by much to my surprise, you know, is on very tight budgets and um, very temporary materials and fixtures. So I think we're really going to blow people away um, with what we're able to do with a little bit of cash. Awesome. Oh, I can't wait to come visit that. That gives me an excuse to uh, get on a plane and and come visit uh, New York again. Emily, thank you so much for being on the podcast. How can people find you? Where where can they keep in touch? Uh, so you can find Pop Up Grocer on Instagram at popup.grocer. Uh, and our website is popupgrocer.co, uh, not com. Those are all taken in 2022. Uh, and that's, again, where you could submit or just ask us a question. Uh, we look at and respond to every email. Um, and yeah, if you want to find me personally, I'm at Emily Schilt. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today, Emily. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Of course. And thank you to my listeners. Thank you for listening to my conversation today. I am really excited to hear if this convo got you guys fired up over brick and mortar retail again. And if some of our listeners are going to apply for that next pop-up grocery event. So come and join the conversation with us. Find me on Instagram at It's Alley Ball or connect in our Food Biz Whiz Facebook group linked in the show notes. We are over 2,500 food and beverage founders in there diving deeper into each episode. So come and join. So thank you as always for tuning in and I will see you right back here next week. This episode is supported by my free workbook on 100 Wholesale Buyer Knows. Why would you want a list of 100 heartbreaking reasons why a buyer says no to your product line, or frankly, why they never call you back in the first place? Well, when you anticipate the no, you can prepare your rebuttal, and that's exactly what I'm walking you through in this free download. Find it directly in the show notes, and you are going to be one step closer to getting those wholesale buyers to trust you, trust your product line, and place a first order. Thanks for listening to Food Biz Whiz. If you're enjoying this podcast and the tools it gives you for growing your packaged product business, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. From one small business owner to another, I am deeply grateful for your support of this podcast, and I appreciate it when you share it with your fellow food founders, share it on social media, or leave me a review on your listening platform. Ready for more? Find out how we can work together at foodbizwiz.com. I'll see you right back here next week.